everybody. If you're looking for the Think Orange podcast, congratulations, you found us. I wanna welcome you. This is the place where we wanna encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and the future of the next generation. I am your host, Trey McKnight, and in this season of the podcast, we're interviewing some of the speakers we're hosting at Orange Conference 2022, which is coming this April. We're gonna talk about what it means to be human and how our churches can better care for the humans in our communities. We're super excited about that and hope you can join us. We're also really excited for you to get to hear this conversation between our very own Kristen Ivey and our guest, Danny Koch. Danny is an illustrator, a social justice advocate, and an entrepreneur. Her illustrations aim to make complex issues more digestible and provide practical ways to help others make a difference in their spheres of influence. Danny also is the founder of a social media agency, So Happy Social, where she helps positive mission-based brands use social media for good. We cannot wait for you to get to learn from her. So here's our conversation between Danny Koch and Kristen Ivey. Here's what we know is true. You're listening to this podcast because you believe in what you do as a ministry leader. You know that every early morning, late night, and meeting that could have been an email is so worth it. And when you believe in what you do this much, you do everything you can to make it better. You know that the mission is too important not to try something new. And that's why we created the Redesign Your Ministry to Last course from Orange Masterclass. Join Reggie Joyner as he unpacks the five essential values for your ministry that will last far beyond a person, a model, or yes, even a pandemic, and innovative strategies to help you elevate them in your ministry. Start working on your ministry, not just in your ministry, today by going to orangemasterclass.com. Danielle, we're so excited that you're going to be coming to conference this year and that you're going to just be a part of all that we do. And especially for this piece that you've created for our team to celebrate Black History Month and just wanted to hear if you had anything that you wanted to say to them. Yeah, well, I'm really excited specifically about this quote that I got to bring to life because Desmond Tutu is someone who greatly influenced my art and work. So his quote, my humanity is bound up in yours for we can only be human together is just such a resounding reminder of the importance of empathy, connection, togetherness. That's super important on the journey, not only for reconciliation and justice, but being a good human, which I know y'all are all about. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really an honor to get to dive into that and create that work for all of you. Now, you've known a little bit about Orange, maybe from a distance. This is the first time we've ever met, but how did you first find out about Orange? Yes, this is funny. (laughs) So I was working at a small events company, and there was an opportunity for us to have a booth at a conference. We did it a couple different times, and it was just a show off, uh, I think either our services or some, we, there was a booth for some reason. I can't remember what the booth was for, but I do remember walking into the arena and walking down the hallway and seeing these like beautiful displays of different seasons in a child's life. I was like, where am I at? <laughs> I peeked into the arena during one point because I wasn't there to be an attendee. I was there to work, but I peeked in and I saw confetti. I saw people running around. Y'all just looked like you were having... <laughs> So much fun. And that's when I found out. Oh, yeah, this is Orange. I'm at Orange That's so fun. Yes. (laughs) I was there to work. (laughs) You were were there for work, but you were at 
the conference. And yeah. I love that. Um, we're getting ready, as you know, for the conference since you're going to be there. And for us, it'll be our first time to be back in the arena in three years. Mm. So for many of us, it'll be the first experience of Orange Conference, maybe on staff or maybe in a new role on staff or uh, you know, all kinds of ways. Uh, but yeah. we get so excited about the opportunity to welcome leaders just from around the world, uh, many states, many different communities who care about kids and teenagers. So this time, you're going to be back at the arena, but in a different capacity. Yeah. Uh, let's just roll right in, and we can talk about that if that works. As you know, our theme is Be Human, and so I'd love to hear what you think. When you hear the words Be Human, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed getting to think about this question because the more I've stepped into the work of justice— and illustrating things to connect people, I've realized that we have a lot of personal responsibility, not just to, you know, stewarding our own lives well, but for the well-being of people around us. And I know these past seasons, we've seen that come up in many different ways, whether it's through the resurgence of Black Lives Matter on a tremendous scale in 2020, or the call to loving our neighbors in different ways throughout the pandemic, whatever that's required of us. I think humanity has taken on that definition for me of personal responsibility, not just um, to steward my life well, but to steward the connections around me well, and to sometimes make the sacrifice to make sure that my neighbor feels seen and known and loved. And so I think defining humanity can't be separated from collective responsibility as well. Yeah. How long have you known that you were an artist or <laughs> enjoyed doing art? Right. So I've sketched and painted and used clay and done like all sorts of art stuff from I was a kid, as you can probably imagine. I never took it seriously though. And I, I would just do it for fun. And I got to, I think, middle school and I was like, oh, I can finally do this. And so I was excited to just, you know, have a teacher look at my work and kind of affirm it. But I, my work was not affirmed by my teacher, which was a very interesting experience for me. I actually, she told me after she gave me a grade on one of my sketches, she said, don't make sure you're not tracing, don't trace. And then she gave me like a C plus or a B minus. I was like, whoa, you could ask me if I traced, you could oh. ask. <laughs> and wow. so, yeah, that happened to be a particularly negative experience where I was like, okay, I wasn't taking it super seriously before and I probably won't ever take it super seriously. So I played with it for a while, but I didn't go to school for it. I didn't go to college for it. It just became and always was a hobby that kind of followed me throughout different stages of life. So what was it that finally made you realize, oh, this is something that I could do on purpose and build my life around. Yeah. Oh, I like the way you phrased that. I think it was it was Christmas of 2019 when I got an iPad. My five, I think it was the second iPad I've ever had. And I was so excited to explore digital illustration, but purely for like professional reasons, because at the time I owned my own graphic designs and social media studio where the mission was to help positive mission-based brands use social media for positive impact. So I was like, yeah, it's going to up-level all my content. And so I, I, I dived into it in that capacity for those reasons. But 
the more I started to want to express my love for justice, especially racial justice and all that that meant for me in my life, I, I found it to be a very effective medium. And it was in January of 2020, early, early in the year, where I did my first illustration on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And it was just a reminder to people like, hey, just so you know, his legacy has been tainted and watered down over time. He was not this passive peacekeeper. He was a peacemaker, which often means that you're radically disruptive in many ways if you're looking to make peace. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to remind people of that fact. And that was the first little art illustration, digital illustration that I posted for that purpose that was shared by people I didn't know. Mm. And I was like, oh, that, I've never seen that from my own social media before. And so I thought of it as a unique opportunity. I said, let's see, let's see what happens with it. Let's see what God does with it. I can just keep drawing. It's about to be Black History Month. So I decided to just continue to draw art along those same lines and it took off from there and it changed everything (laughs) forever. Wow. How have you found art to be just an extension of human communication? I mean, an effective tool, you already kind of referred to it a little bit, but an, an idea that helps connect us maybe. Yeah. I love this question. Whenever I talk about visual communication, I like to touch on that fact. The fact that when it comes to illustration specifically, I wanted to answer the question, why does it feel like people are more inclined to engage? Because I'm talking about some hard stuff. So I was like, what, what makes people more inclined to want to engage with the work? And, and then you think about illustration going back, it was the earliest form of communication, to be honest, just images, pictures earliest form of communication. And so it's somewhat innate for us to gravitate towards it and be connected with Mm -hmm. it. And also it has memories of nostalgia tied with it. We remember fondly the cartoons and animations that we watched as children and people's guards are down when they interact with it because of that fact, the familiarity of this isn't out to get me. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I can approach. And then The ability to tell a story without always using a whole lot of words. I use words a lot, but art has that capability to kind of take you on a journey that otherwise listing out five facts probably wouldn't portray in the same way. So, so many of it, of those reasons are why I feel like it connects very well. I know that we've talked to comedians before who love to use comedy to communicate heavy and important messages because there's mm-hmm. something about laughter that allows us, you know, to laugh together, let our guard down, and then sometimes connect on a very real human uh, raw level at, at some points. Sometimes I think about your art, the way you're describing it in the same way, because I follow you. I love your illustrations, um, but you're right. You communicate some serious human threads and conversations. And at the same time, I feel like the characteristics of your art are also love and compassion, and there's a lot of joy in your expression, too. So what does that look like for you? How do you think about packaging the conversation that you want people to be having or influencing that conversation? Yes. So I've talked about the name Oh Happy Danny before because people will see what I'm talking about and be like, that doesn't feel happy to me, honestly. It feels like a kick in the rear. But the the idea, like you said, is just to take that thought, wrap it up in compassion and hope and optimism sometimes, 
-hmm. what I'm able and then put it out there in a way that people can access it. Mm -hmm. And it's oftentimes information that not everybody has the same level of access to. And so I, I thought it would be a great opportunity to take that and, and make something different with it, but not watering down the message or making the, you know, issues any less important. And so I find that for me, joy is just something that kind of just shines out of all of my pores. I can't really help being so joyful about a lot of things all the time, but that doesn't mean that I am joyful all the time. You know, I, I, well, I should say I'm not happy all the time. I think joy is probably here to stay, but I know some people like to say that happiness comes and goes. I don't even know if I 100% agree with that either, but I do know that as long as it's a part of me, a part of who I am, I think it will emanate in the work that I do. And I think that goes for a lot of us. It's my hope that all those attributes that make us more hopeful, more joyful, uh, easier to connect with will emanate and shine through all of the work that we do every day too. What surprised you about the way that people receive your art or what they see and find when they're looking at the art that you've communicated? Yeah. I was always surprised by the level of impact that it would have on people. Like I would hear somebody like, oh, that made me think of something in a different light. And I'd be like, oh, cool. That was the goal. But then I'll have somebody be like, this completely shifted the way I view this entire issue. This uh, motivated me to have a different type of conversation with my family and friends, or this equipped me to be able to defend or support the issues that matter to me, the issues that I care about in a way that may not have been possible before. And so that is always super exciting. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't anticipate it, but I'm always so grateful that it can be used in that way. It's a tool. It really is a tool. Mm. And it's always a joy to be able to use that in those ways, honestly. As an artist, you create art and people love it and they follow it and they respond to the art that you create. What are some things that are difficult about potentially being the person behind the art? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if there's ever a moment when you feel like, I wish people would understand this about me or see me through my work or uh, not miss these, these key elements of just who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I can say easily that I've had very, very difficult moments with this whole platform ministry. It's very difficult, especially coming off of the whirlwind that was 2020 and realizing that carrying on that conversation through 2021 and 2022 would be one of the most difficult things that I've ever embarked on, especially since society, as it often seems to do on the back of progress, seems to kind of backtrack in many different areas, like, like race, for example. And so there was a season, a very long season, and I don't even know if I'm all the way out of it yet. I'm about to have to be. It's about to be, you know, Black History Month. But I, I haven't explicitly talked about race in content the way I did in 2020 for a long time mm -hmm. because it traumatized me to a way where I had to get in therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think in an effort to shine a light on these issues through the lens of compassion and grace and hope, there also comes that weight of, well, sometimes things just don't seem to be changing like you would hope they would change. Mm. Or I'm 
realizing that carrying that weight for so long of, of bearing this kind of responsibility is starting to take a toll on me. And I would like to sleep. I am burning out. Or I don't want to be fighting with people in my DMs. I don't want to get any more threatening emails. Like those are things that people don't always see. Mm-hmm. And it, it definitely gets very difficult. I'm reminded of the importance of rest, saying no when I would like to say no, stopping when I want to stop. And now I tell myself all the time, I will no longer put my body on the line for the mm-hmm. sake of trying to change people's minds mm-hmm. because that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to try to change your mind. I'm here to just show you another way, hopefully a better way and guide you towards making the decisions you need to make on your own. We believe the work you do on the front lines with kids and teenagers is the most important work in the world. Every meeting with a small group leader, email to parents and late night supply run matters because you're helping kids and teenagers develop an everyday faith. On average, you have about 40 hours this year to influence the faith of kids and teenagers who come to your programming. That means you need to be intentional about your messaging strategy. Orange Curriculum is a comprehensive strategy for birth to high school. Each age group curriculum not only provides you with strategic messages to engage kids and students with biblical truths, but also resources to help you train volunteers and partner with parents. To start using Orange Curriculum to spend less time planning your message and more time doing what only you can do, building relationships. You can get started today at tryorangefree.com. That's tryorangefree.com. A lot of people who are coming to conference are going to, I think, resonate with some of that. Not all of us are artists. Uh, You (laughs) probably should not see the drawings that I do at home with my children. They're not not for the internet. Right. But we create maybe environments for kids or experiences for teenagers or meetups with people for coffee. And whenever you're in work with humans, and our theme is be human, obviously you get that human element that sometimes can cost a lot from us personally. And I think hearing you talk about that is important. So how have you managed that? How have you looked for rest or prioritized taking care of yourself when you realize wow, this is starting to feel like more than I was designed to carry. Yeah, absolutely. I think I had to first recognize that I am not a machine. I think a lot of us need that reminder. When I started therapy, one of the first things she wanted to work through with me was perfectionism. And I have a Christian counselor, and so she used the idea of faith and helped me to walk through perfectionism in such a beautiful way. One thing that she reminded me of was you weren't meant to be a daily machine of productivity and that's not what you need to be. And and she said, perfection is the echo of Eden. And I thought that that was very interesting to me because she said in Eden, we were made perfect and we're not in Eden anymore. And she said, the next place that we will be perfect is when we're with Jesus. And so she said, we're going, you're in between gardens right now. Perfectionism is not attainable here. You're between mm-hmm. the garden of Eden and the garden of glory. And she, she, when she painted that picture for me, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to act like I have all the answers all the time. Mm-hmm. I, and if rest is calling me, rest, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm on the way. <laughs> because I cannot be, you know, the someone with the answers to everything. And I can't bear all of that weight when I wasn't meant to carry it all. And so practically speaking, that looks like um, being more stringent with my actual work hours and saying, oh, it is five. I am stopping. 
Mm. It also means that not every conversation that I'm baited to join, I will join. Mm. Not every topic that is calling to me will get an answer from me. And that's just wisdom for all of us, Mm. honestly. So yeah, those are two ways for sure. No, that's really good. As you're talking, you're reminding me of just the value of separating ourselves from the work that we do. Oftentimes we create work, and if it's good work, which your work is, is being noticed by so many people for all the value that it has. Um, but separating that out from your value as a human is not you know, in your work because it can go both ways. Then people don't like your work or they take issues with it, and uh, maybe they don't even know the wonderful person that you are and all mm-hmm. that you know, you're actually putting into this behind the scenes. But you did mention uh, your relationship with the church. You were at a Christian counselor. Obviously, you had an experience at Orange Conference before when you were going through what we call the phase gallery. Mm -hmm. Tell us just a little bit about what church has been like for you in your life. Absolutely. This question is going to be a a mouthful to answer, but I'm going to answer it. Yes, so I grew up in a denomination or sect of Christianity that honestly, for me, I found to have a lot of false teaching in it. And when I grew up, (laughs) when I got older, when I went to college, I took the opportunity to investigate for myself what the Bible really says about things. I wanted to free myself from the chains of legalism where there was so much I just absolutely could not do. And I wanted to find who Jesus was for myself. And that sent me on a journey to find new church homes that would embody all those characteristics along with, you know, like teaching what the Bible actually says about what it means to be a believer, what it means to be saved and legalism, not being a part of that. But as I embarked on that journey of finding a new church home, I realized that I was battling with the scars and wounds of spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. And that story, (laughs) hand in hand with my battles with perfectionism and then the trauma of racial injustice and the toll that that takes, all of it made this perfect storm of me just needing to get help. (laughs) And a lot of that help that I found was in the body of the local church. And no matter how much I think I can stay at home and be okay. I cannot stay at home and be okay. (laughs) And so, (laughs) yeah, I've I've found healing and connection and community and mentorship and guidance and discipleship, the thing that I've needed the most. That's all been found for me in the local church, but I also recognize, and I think it's important, an important part of our humanity to recognize that the church isn't perfect all the time. And there's blind spots, there's broken parts and broken pieces, but that's, that could be said of all of us too, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're a bunch of imperfect people trying to worship a perfect God together. And we're not always going to get out right, but yeah, it's been an important part of my journey for sure. No, we're definitely not always going to get it right. When you think about the experience of recognizing, Hey, I feel hurt by the church. What is it that you wish every leader in the church, every Christian really in the church understood about that process of going through maybe a little bit of grief uh, as you recognize church hurt and then try to find faith on the other side of it? Mm -hmm. 
One thing that I think a lot of people don't recognize, at least for people whose lives were super tangled up in the church that may have caused them hurt and pain, is that once the process begins of leaving, if that's the answer to finding the wholeness that you need, for many of us, my story included, I lost everyone who I was connected to in that space, in that process. I mean, every single person, except my family. And so that in and of itself is such a hard, (laughs) heavy thing to process and walk through, especially now I'm in a different season of my life where I'm looking back and saying, oh, if I want to get married and have a wedding, who's coming to the wedding? Everybody I knew the first half of my life is no longer in my life. That is a heavy, heavy thing. And I know it may not be the direction that any, everyone else goes in when they talk about this, but it's a very important part of, a very important piece of the puzzle. Relationships, humanity, we need it. We don't want to be disconnected from people. And it's that disconnection that often starts the process of me saying, well, I don't need that anyway. Wow. I can find that community and connection somewhere else. Yeah. So that's something I think I want people to think more about is when I'm trying to make an open door, safe space kind of situation for someone walking through that, how can I just be with them mm-hmm. and assess that community need? Yeah. What was it that made you hold on to Jesus? Like you said, I mean, you were searching for something that you could keep and something you could hold on to. Maybe what was it that kept you searching and seeking? And what did you find that gave you something to anchor to? Yes, I will never forget during that season where I knew I wanted to leave that former church and begin searching for something different. I wanted more than anything to just know Jesus stripped down from all the other things that I feel like he was wrapped up in from my old church experience. And so I will never forget sitting with my Bible in my room in college and saying like, I just want to start this new journey. I just want to know you for myself. Just reveal yourself to me in in the best way you know how, honestly. And I, I opened to Romans and that changed my whole entire life. Romans was the perfect book for me to read in that moment because I learned about grace and mercy for literally the first time. I had heard those words, never knew what they meant. Couldn't have defined them for you. But seeing that and what it actually meant and seeing the depth of the love that Jesus has for us and that process of consistently calling us to himself. I was like, wow, you love me a lot. Yo, I love you back. Like, that's great. And I feel like it was in those moments of me sitting alone, trying to figure all that stuff out that Jesus consistently met me there and my love for him grew. And in turn, my love for other people grew just as much because I felt like it was connected. It wasn't something that I tried, tried to force, just felt like it was happening. I was like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. And you love me so much. Other people need to know about this. I love other people. Wait a minute. I want to I wanna go talk to everybody, not for the sake of trying to convert everyone I meet, but for the sake of just exhibiting that love that I was shown so graciously. And I really think that that love is what drives everything I do now today. So when you think about the church today and the leaders that are going to be at Orange Conference who are committed to showing up in communities to love kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, what's one thing that you would say, gosh, I just wish we could all kind of stack hands on this, all agree about this one thing to take back with us for the year ahead? Mm -hmm. That thing would definitely be empathy. Mm -hmm. 
and compassion. I know one time I drew a piece about walking in someone else's shoes and I wanted to use it to illustrate the meaning of empathy and most importantly, in my opinion, compassion. And it said, um, sympathy says, uh, I'm sorry, you know, and I see what's happening. Empathy says, I feel this with you and I'm carrying that weight, which is so important. And then compassion says, I'm willing to take action to help you because of what I've seen. And if we could get a grasp on empathy and compassion in a way that says, I will sacrifice my own self-interests in certain capacities, in certain situations to show compassion and empathy for you and to love you as Christ loves us. And that might look differently and in different ways for different people, but having a grasp on that, I think would change so much that self-sacrificial love for others, love for neighbor, I think would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing um, that with us, Danny. I think you're on to something. I think love for our neighbor was something Jesus made a pretty big deal. So that, yes, you got that, that right. Like we should get that right. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the conversation. And I cannot wait to see you at the arena. Uh, not working a booth this time. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but back again with us, um, and hopefully we'll have more confetti cannons. We need to write that down. That would be fun. I can't wait. And thank you so much for talking with me today. Well, as always, I want to say thank you so much, Danny, for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed listening to this conversation, I would humbly ask that you please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's super helpful as we try to get the word out and share all of the knowledge and wisdom that we're getting here. Uh, Here's a review by Adam. It says, so glad I started listening to this podcast. Very helpful when it comes to student ministry issues. Well, Adam, we're so glad that that's helpful for you. Uh, We hope that you'll continue listening. Thank you for your review. Now, we cannot wait, as I mentioned earlier, for you to join us at Orange Conference 2022. It's coming this April. We want you to be there, to be a part of the conversation, and we can all continue learning what it means to be human together. So if you want to join us, make sure you go to theorangeconference.com. Save your seat there. It's going to be an Orange Conference like you've never seen before. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time on the Think Orange podcast. Orange Conference.